Hello, welcome to Challenger Approaching, a podcast about the history behind every major franchise featured in the Super Smash Bros. series. I'm your host, freelance games journalist and author Ben Bertoli. Here on Challenger Approaching, I cover key entries, interesting game details, and fun trivia about a single series. A guest expert or superfan will also be dropping by to give us the lowdown on their favorite game or a moment in the series' history that they find intriguing. And, as always, a quick warning that I'm not so great at pronouncing Japanese words and names, and they do tend to pop up, but I'll do my darndest to get them right. For our sixth episode, we'll be sizing up everyone's favorite money-grubbing anti-hero. Grab some air freshener, because we're diving into the world of gold, garlic, and gastrointestinal attacks. That's right, it's time for the history of Wario. Some gaming purists may say that Wario doesn't deserve his own episode. After all, he is technically part of the Mario universe. But much like Mario's associates, Donkey Kong and Yoshi, Wario has blazed his own trail in the world of gaming by starring in series and spin-offs that set him far, far apart from his humble beginnings as a villain. Many Nintendo fans believe Wario evolved, or was at least partly modeled after, a character from the 1985 NES title Wrecking Crew. In Wrecking Crew, Nintendo favorites Mario and Luigi are tasked with destroying certain objects around different construction sites. This often forgotten Mario title also features Foreman Spike, a large, mischievous, bearded character that goes out of his way to ruin the Mario Brothers' hard work. Spike certainly isn't Wario, but he's thought to be a predecessor in the same way that Donkey Kong's Paulina was to Princess Peach. Wario's first true appearance came at the end of Super Mario Land 2 Six Golden Coins, released for the original Game Boy in 1992. The game and its predecessor, Super Mario Land, were both developed by Gunpei Yokoi's research and development team, known internally as R&D 1. These would be the first Mario adventures produced by anyone other than the Nintendo Entertainment and Development, or EAD, division. In fact, rumor has it the R&D 1 team wasn't really excited to take on Mario. They were worried that they would have far less creative freedom, due to the popularity of the Pudgy Plumber's already well-established world. Regardless of their worries, the R&D 1 team still managed to produce one of the oddest entries in the series. Mario Land placed the hero in the strange Sarasa Land, where he would throw bouncing balls, pilot vehicles such as spaceships and submarines, and save the newly introduced Princess Daisy. When it came time to make a sequel, lead director and designer Hiroji Kiyotake really wanted to mix things up. He wanted an unconventional Mario game that didn't really feel like the recent critically acclaimed Super Mario World. Of course, Nintendo felt differently, turning down Kiyotake's first draft of the game's story and content. Annoyed, Kiyotake and the R&D 1 team began reworking their ideas to better align with the regular Mario dynamic. One of the story details Nintendo had let the team keep was the fact that Mario wouldn't be fighting to save a damsel in distress, but rather trying to take back his castle from a new nemesis. It was Kiyotake's frustration and aggravation with having to tailor his game to Mario's standards that inspired Wario. 
Kiyotake wanted a character that was greedy, smelly, and brash. Everything that Mario wasn't. <laughs> Though the name Wario may seem like it came from the thought of a Mario that likes fighting others, and thus war, it's actually a portmanteau of the name Mario and the Japanese word Waru, which simply means bad. Wario is literally bad Mario. Excellent! Wario only showed up at the end of Super Mario Land 2, but he was heavily featured in much of the game's print and media advertising. Though they hadn't planned on creating a new playable character, the R&D 1 team was convinced that Wario could carry his own series of platforming games. The higher-ups at Nintendo agreed, and gave the team the green light to make their own bizarre Wario Wonderland. Wario Land Super Mario Land 3 was released roughly two years later in early 1994. Though Wario's attempts to steal Mario's castle in the last game had been thwarted, the greedy elf had not been deterred. Wario Land put players in Wario's shoes as he attempted to steal a gold statue of Princess Peach from the brown sugar pirates and the sticky fingers of their leader, Captain Syrup. Unlike Mario, Wario's attacks came from his powerful shoulder charge and the ability to pick up and toss enemies at one another. The game also featured three power-up caps that gave the rotund oaf the ability to increase his strength and speed, as well as shoot flames. To many surprise, the game was an enormous success, selling over 5.8 million copies worldwide. Before Wario Land's debut, Nintendo had actually used the charismatic anti-hero in a Japanese-exclusive Super Nintendo title called Mario and Wario. Though unplayable, Wario did play up his role as Mario's arch-nemesis by... knocking a bucket onto his head? I guess the standards for evil were way lower in 1993. After the success of Wario Land, Nintendo released Wario's Woods, a puzzle game for the NES and SNES, as well as Wario Blast, a Bomberman crossover for the Game Boy. Wario's next star and role was a big one. He was to headline the main launch title for Nintendo's next major handheld, the Virtual Boy. Of course, as we all know now, the Virtual Boy wasn't quite the hit Nintendo had hoped for. The system gave players headaches and neck problems after extended bouts of play, and was discontinued only a year after launch. Even though the system had flopped, Virtual Boy Wario Land had still managed to find fans, being hailed as one of the system's only worthwhile offerings. Eventually the Wario Land series found its footing once more, launching three proper sequels for the Game Boy line in 1998, 2000, and 2001. As the Wario Land series grew, so did Wario's unique personality and gameplay pushing him further and further from his well-meaning and courageous rival, Mario. But let's rewind a bit here. In August of 2000, between the release of Wario Land 3 and 4, Nintendo launched an add-on for the Nintendo 64 home console known as the 64 Disk Drive, or 64DD. And if that name sounds familiar, well that's probably because despite the 64DD going down as one of Nintendo's greatest flops, it's managed to be historically significant to series such as F-Zero, Animal Crossing, and more, as you've probably heard on previous episodes of Challenger Approaching. Was there a Wario game released for the 64DD? No. Was there a Wario game in the works that was scrapped? Again, no. The connection comes from a game called Mario Artist Polygon Studio, the fourth and final entry in the DD's Mario Artist series. In the game, players design 3D polygon models and could use said models in a variety of different modes. One of these modes, called Sound Bomber, 
had players complete lightning-fast minigames featuring their models. It was these eight simple minigames, soon to be rebranded as micro-games, that would thrust Wario into a new, mobile spotlight. Though the Mario Artist series was cut short due to the poor sales of the 64DD, the Sound Bomber micro-games were deemed worthy of their own title. Nintendo's R&D1 team would once again lead the charge, but this time, without permission. The developers of R&D1 decided to work on the game in secret, not telling their lead manager at the time. When asked in a 2006 interview why Wario was chosen as the face of this new series, designer Yoshio Sakamoto said, Wario is always doing stupid things and is really idiotic, so we thought he and the rest of the characters would be the best for this game. This time around, Wario wouldn't be hunting for treasure, but rather trying to strike it rich by starting his own gaming company, WarioWare Inc. Eventually the R&D1 team came clean to their manager and was given the okay to move forward in an official capacity. With simple visuals and a pick-up-and-play vibe, the game was a perfect fit for the new Game Boy Advance. Instead of just a handful of microgames, the WarioWare team was determined to showcase hundreds. Team members were told to jot down details and doodles about new microgames on post-it notes, which they stuck to a table of ever-growing ideas. Eventually, news of the game reached other development departments and Nintendo employees. Soon, anyone and everyone with a silly microgame in mind stopped by to add their post-its to the table. In the end, the team had over 300 games to choose from, a number that they eventually whittled down to 213. WarioWare Inc. Mega Microgames, known in Japan as Made in Wario, launched in the spring of 2003 to critical acclaim. The game's 200-plus microgames were divided up into 11 different stages, each featuring its own wacky theme. Picking noses, dodging arrows, jumping over giant potatoes, anything and everything was fair game in WarioWare. Aside from the titular Wario, Mega Microgames introduced nine new characters, including the groovy Jimmy T, sassy student Mona, and the retro gaming fan, 9Volt. Players could try their hand at each character's collection of games, with every round culminating in a more detailed boss battle of sorts. As rounds advanced, the microgames would speed up, giving players three chances to fail before it was game over. The success of WarioWare for the Game Boy Advance inspired Nintendo to re-release the game for the GameCube with a multiplayer spin. WarioWare Inc. Mega Party Games launched less than a year after Mega Microgames, between the two games, Wario received his first big 3D adventure with Wario World, also for the GameCube. Wario World was well received by fans and critics, who found the epic boss battles and overall gameplay enjoyable. The game's biggest criticism came from its short length, with many comparing it to the short-lived Luigi's Mansion. The next two WarioWare games would add hundreds more microgames to the mix. WarioWare Twisted, released in 2005 for the Game Boy Advance, had a built-in tilt sensor and rumble features. WarioWare Touched, released in 2005 for the Nintendo DS, had a focus on the DS's lower touchscreen. Here to talk about the next entry in the series, and possibly the goofiest WarioWare of all time, is freelance writer and Source Gaming founder, Push Dustin. Thanks for being here, Dustin. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, what was your first introduction to Wario 
uh, in general. Was was there a game that you first played that you uh, really loved? The first game that I ever played with Wario was um, actually Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins. And that features Wario as like the uh, main enemy of the game, the antagonist of the game, as he steals Mario's fortune. <laughs> and then um, I, I played Wario Land 1 and, and um, 1, 2, and 3, of course, very extensively. But my favorite Wario game is actually WarioWare Smooth Moves for the Wii. And did you play any of the WarioWare games before that? No, that was actually my first WarioWare game. So I might have a little bit of nostalgic, like, bias towards <laughs> that one in particular. Since then, I've gone back and played, um, you know, the micro games and Twisted and Touched and stuff like that. And what did you like about the Wario Adventure games? You said you played pretty much all the Wario Land games, so what was it about those games that kept pulling you back? I think it was just like the way that Wario interacts with his uh, enemies. Like, I found it really fascinating that instead of relying on just like power-ups and stuff like that, he relied on, I think, what they call uh, reactions. Mm. Being lit on fire and um, or being turned into a zombie, for example, to like solve puzzles. I thought that was really interesting and um, something that that really appealed to me in like the platformer kind of sense. Yeah. Wasn't there an enemy in the Japanese version that would throw a beer at you and you kind of get like tipsy? Yeah. I think they changed changed that in the American and <laughs> uh, European releases because it wasn't quite appropriate. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> so why why is Smooth Moves the best WarioWare game in your opinion? Like why does it why has it stayed the best since there's been you know multiple releases since and you've gone back and played the others? Well, um, I think it's just because like the Wii was this perfect machine for multiplayer games. It was a great machine to bring people who don't really play games that much into gaming. And WarioWare Smooth Moves was like a very easy game to show off the Wii to. That's what I actually used it for. You know, when motion controls were just starting to become a thing, a lot of people didn't quite understand it. But when you put on WarioWare Smooth, Smooth Moves, you could like just see people get it. Like, you know, oh, this is this is how you use the Wii remote. This is the interest in game plays that, you know, that can emerge from this kind of setup. So it was a good introduction for other people? Yeah, it was a great introduction for other people. I used it a lot at, like, social gatherings in, like, high school. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we would often just, you know, hang out at my fr our friend's house and um, we'd play, like, various video games and Warrior Smooth Moose was one that we could constantly go back to because it was always fun. And obviously, you know, the games move very fast and there's, like, hundreds of them in each, mm -hmm. but is there one that you... Uh, recall like being your favorite or like just memorable because it was so weird my absolute favorite <laughs> micro game is the one where you're sweeping and um you're sweeping up leaves and after you sweep up the leaves like a cat like applauds you <laughs> like it, it made a comeback in um warrior where um gold yeah gold yeah and I, I i was just so happy to see that game back <laughs> <laughs> just like the approval the, the the cat approval yeah and just like the way the cat meows like meow 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 it's just like <laughs> there's so much quirky humor in warrior that's that's what really appeals to me i guess it always makes you smile yeah and uh, Smooth Moves is a little bit different than most of the WarioWare because it kind of has to give you that setup mm -hmm. where they tell you exactly like how you're going to hold the um, Wii Remote. Was there one of the like positions or, you know, like uh, stances that you felt was the funniest or, you know, the most interactive? Well, the most ridiculous one was the elephant 
where you had to like hold the Wii remote to your nose. <laughs> I also really like the was it the handlebar, the chauffeur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because I thought that was really cool. Like when I first played it. Do you know him really? Do you know him really well? If I if I gave you two, one that was real and one that was fake, could you t- could you tell me which one was which? Well, actually, I reviewed the list right before recording, because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to like make sure that I was on top of my game. But um, we could try. All right, all right. I'm gonna give you a two, and you tell me. Now you just can't be looking at the list right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking at any list or anything. I'll take your word for it. All right, which one of these is uh, not one of them? The big cheese or the pizza slice? Pizza slice. All right. The big cheese was a good one. <laughs> uh huh. It's like hands on hips, yep. right? Yep. I'm a, I'm a big important man. I think he used that for the hula hoop game. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, that's definitely the one that I think they introduced it with. Yep. Okay, how about uh, the bench press or the thumb wrestler? Bench press. Beautiful. There's a dumbbell, I think, where you have to like, you know, crank yeah. it up like you're uh, doing reps. All right. Well, you've you've passed my test. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> Most of the games focused on the Wii remote, but there were some games that also included the the nunchuck, which I think they called the balance stone or something yep. like that. I think they were unlocked after you complete the kind of the main story of the game. And there was that like weird super English narration that I think was in all versions of the game. Yep. Are you uh, aware of the narrator? Like who did that? I'm not. Rumor has it, and this was uh, something that I had to look into online, was that there was a marketing support assistant from Nintendo of America who was in Japan at the time when they were doing the development of the game. His name is Aaron Lundquist. This is his only credit for anything online, uh, mm. voice acting-wise. And they kind of just pulled him in and said, hey, you know English, like, read all of this stuff for the script. And he didn't think anything of it. <laughs> and then they ended up actually putting it in the final game because they thought it was hilarious to have this, like, really, you know, straightforward narrator. The umbrella. Hold the form baton vertically, thumb resting lightly on the button. Through this dance, you channel the quiet dignity of a circus clown in the midst of a thunderstorm. It's very uh, calming, I guess you could say. Yeah, it just—it's a great, um, great way to contrast with the absurdity. So what do you hope to see from WarioWare in the future? Are you thinking that maybe with the Switch they could uh, bring back some of these like wacky movement techniques? Honestly, I was a little disappointed with um, WarioWare Gold. You know, I was waiting for so long to, for a new WarioWare game to come out. You know, I thought I could use the 3DS in a lot of uh, different ways. And with Gold, like, they ended up just, you know, bringing back all these, uh, all the games, which is, you know, which is good. But at the same time, I wish there was a lot of new content. I really hope that there is one built from the ground up for the Switch because the Switch, like the Joy-Cons, they have a lot of um, tech inside them. Like you have the IR camera and you have the uh, the gyros and stuff like that. You can do motion control. So I hope that they they really make a, you know, WarioWare from the ground up for the Switch. And then are you hoping that there's going to be another Wario adventure? I don't think we've had one since uh, the Shake, WarioWare Shake It for the Wii. I'm hoping that they bring back, you know, the Virtual Boy version because, you know, they they did trademark it recently, like within the last year they filed for a trademark. Yeah, it's kind of strange they never brought that to the 3DS Virtual Console. You would think that would be an easy one to kind of port over. Mm -hmm. You could actually make it 3D. Yeah, it seems like a missed opportunity. But yeah, I 
I hope that they would eventually bring it back, but I just wonder if they're afraid that there's no market for it or something like that. Could be. And do you find yourself playing Wario often when you play Super Smash Brothers? Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, he's one of your favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he's my main. Oh, um, okay. So right now I'm alternating between um, Wario, Pac-Man, and King K. Roll. Excellent! All right, well, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about Wario today. Yeah, no problem. After Smooth Moves, Wario got back to his treasure hunting ways with two new adventures. 2007's Wario Master of Disguise for the Nintendo DS saw the tubby troublemaker donning different outfits and solving puzzles with the help of the handheld's touchscreen. 2008 was a classic return to form with the hand-drawn Wario Land Shake It for the Wii. Thanks to the Wii's motion controls, players could literally shake the coins and jewels from bags of treasure Wario found on his journey. Months before Shake It, Wario would finally join the Super Smash Bros. roster in the series' third entry, Super Smash Bros. Brawl. Many fans were surprised to find Wario making his premiere in his WarioWare jacket and goggles, and not his iconic yellow and purple duds. With moves that included chewing on his opponents, riding his signature motorcycle across the stage, and powering up a megaton fart, Wario was easily the most ridiculous and light-hearted new fighter. Along with Wario came a stage inspired by the WarioWare series. When fighting on the stage, players would be prompted to complete sudden tasks like chiseling a statue or staying out of the rain. Those who followed the instructions were rewarded with temporary invincibility, size boosts, or a tough metal coating. The stage was so well received that it has returned for every Smash Bros. title since. Back in the world of real WarioWare games, Nintendo made the decision to release the first ever download-only entry in the series. WarioWare Snapped launched exclusively for the updated Nintendo DSi system in 2009, using the handheld's built-in camera to provide new microgame madness. A year later, fans were tasked with crafting their own microgames with the unique WarioWare DIY, or do-it-yourself. Players could even upload their microgames to a WiiWare companion title called WarioWare DIY Showcase, where they could test other players' creations, enter contests, and update their DS cartridge with new content. In the summer of 2011, the developers at Nintendo were hard at work creating technical demonstrations for the upcoming Wii U home console. Originally intended to be pre-installed on the system, the developers soon had too many silly tech demos to include in the Wii U's tiny memory space. It was decided that the games would instead be sold as a package, with Wario once again at the helm. Since the content wasn't the normal rapid-fire microgames, the team didn't feel comfortable giving the title an official WarioWare moniker. Settling instead for Game & Wario, a combination of Game & Watch and WarioWare. Though some of the included games stood out for their quirky humor and unique gameplay, Game & Wario's uneven overall presentation and frustrating controls left fans and critics disappointed. Most recently, in the summer of 2018, WarioWare returned with a mix of new microgames and some of the series' greatest hits. WarioWare Gold, known as Made in Wario Gorgeous in Japan, included over 300 microgames, the most ever seen in the series. 
With touch, motion, and button controls, it was very much more of the same content the fans have been exposed to over the past 15 years. No one knows when Wario will rear his ugly head again, either in his own adventure or with the new collection of microgames, but we can only hope that it won't be too long. You know what that music means, it's time once again for bonus stage. The part of the show where I get to rattle off fun trivia that didn't fit anywhere else. Tidbit number one. As it was the last licensed game released for the NES in North America, Wario's Woods is the only NES game to ever receive an ESRB rating upon launch. The ESRB rating system went into effect in September of 1994, and Wario's Woods was released in December of that same year. Tidbit number two. This actually was mentioned briefly in my interview with Dustin, but I think it's worth bringing up again. In the western release of Wario Land 2 for the Game Boy, a penguin enemy throws a ball at Wario that turns him into what the game calls Crazy Wario. This staggering and hard to control oaf wasn't crazy, he was drunk. In the original Japanese game, the penguins didn't throw balls, but rather mugs of frosty cold beer. Tidbit number three. Wario's bold-lined redesign in the WarioWare series is thanks to artist Ko Takauchi. The meme-loving game designer also helped come up with all of WarioWare's secondary characters, and went on to play a major role in creating the popular Rhythm Heaven series. Tidbit number 4. According to the Wario World Instruction Manual, Wario weighs a staggering 308 pounds, or 140 kilograms, though he insists that most of that weight is his clothing. I'm number one! Challenger Approaching is written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Ben Bertoli, here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Our opening track was created by chiptune composer Brandflakes. His music can be found on YouTube under the handle Brandflakes325. All the music samples used in this episode are the property of Nintendo. Special thanks to Push Dustin for coming on the show as our expert. You can find Dustin on Twitter, at PushDustin. If you have comments or suggestions for the podcast, or feel I left out something terribly important, feel free to tweet at SuperBentendo, or shoot me an email at HeyBertoli at gmail.com. Challenger Approaching will return soon with a new gaming history lesson. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. Have a rotten day!